You are listening to an ODI live event podcast. You can find out more about events and research by the Overseas Development Institute by visiting our website, odi.org. So, warm welcome to everyone um, to ODI. This is part of our um, In Conversation series. So, we've got those of you in the room, um, so very warm welcome to you. But we've also got um, an online audience. I'm told there's 200 people online also listening in. So, that's to welcome to you, those of you who are online. I'm Simon Gill. I'm one of the acting executive directors at ODI with my colleague, Sara Pantoliano. So we're leading the institute. My background is on the economic side. I initially came to ODI to run the budget strengthening initiative, doing advisory work in fragile states, and have, uh, if you like, worked my way up. So <clears throat> in terms of ODI, just to say very quickly who we are. Um, we're a, the world, well, I say the world's leading centre, maybe that's for other people to judge, but a, a leading centre in the world focused on research and analysis on aid and development. Um, we've been very engaged on some of these aid effectiveness issues for many, many years. Many of our staff have been involved in different groups at the DAC over time. Um, we've been involved in commenting about ODA, about the monitoring and assessing of ODA, um, and recommendations for improvement, and latterly, um, a number of our teams have been very involved in the Leaving No One Behind agenda, which the DAC has also been very involved in. Um, introducing Susanna, we're, we're really delighted to get, have Susanna here. She's, she's just actually said to me that this is day 14 in the job. I knew she was new. I didn't realise she was uh, that new. So we're really delighted that she's taken the opportunity to come through to London um, to join us in conversation, both here in person and obviously with people online. So we're really delighted about that. Um, Susanna's a, a, I suppose I'm going to say, I'm not sure if I can say this about you now, but it was a British diplomat and a civil servant. We had a previous incarnation a long time ago, although we should say not that long ago, in DFID. Um, she was previously, before she joined the DAC, she was the British ambassador to um, Ethiopia and Eritrea, and also I think... No, the, no not no. Eritrea then. Oh, not no, Eritrea. No. <laughs> Ethiopia and Djibouti, and also the permanent representative to the African Union and UNECA. Um, She's also been the UK Executive Director to the World Bank, um, as well as when she was in, in DFID, heading up the um, as Director for Western Southern Africa, um, and then had a previous incarnation um, doing lots of other things. Has got a PhD from LSE and an honorary doctorate from York. So congratulations on all of that. So just to explain the format, we're going to have sort of 30 minutes, I've got uh, some questions I want to put to Susanna, um, and then we're going to open up for you, the audience, both here in the room and online to ask questions. And it, and it is generally, we're billing it's in conversation, it's conversational, we'll see where the conversation takes us, but there's lots to talk about. Um, and if you're online, um, do send questions through, we'll pick them up, I've got an iPad here, I'll pick up the questions and there'll also be time for people in the room to ask questions as well. So that's the plan. Um, if, you're, if you want to tweet, we've got hashtag future of aid, so do use that if you'd like to. Um, and that's about it, so welcome. So Susanna, tell us a little bit, so day 14 in the job, um, kind of first reflections and, and, and maybe a sense of what you think your priorities are going forward. 
Okay, well, thank you for having me, Simon. And any difficult questions, I'll say I just haven't been doing the job long enough. So um, let, me, let me flag that. Um, I mean, the other thing I would say is I'm, I'm very much in listening and learning mode. Um, and that's why this is such a, such a good opportunity. I mean, both for people here, but also people who are um, online. You know, I'm, I'm in the market for good ideas. Um, but let me, so what are my first impressions? Um, I mean, the DAC is, is a, it, it's a fascinating beast, and, and unlike anything else I've ever done, it, you know, it is the donor club, and I don't think we should be apologetic about that. that that's its, its raison d'etre. It is um, part of the development cluster within the OECD, which is then nestled within the wider uh, multilateral organization. Um, it's very different from the African Union, uh, but interestingly, obviously, there, there are a lot of overlaps in terms of, of agendas. Um, my, my first week, I did the um, biennial, that's once every two years, um, high-level meeting, and the second, uh, Latin America and Caribbean Dialogue. So that was days um, four and five. So that was something of a baptism of fire. But I think my, my takeaways, um, I mean, from the Latin America and Caribbean Dialogue, was that there is a real willingness to engage with the DAC from Latin American and Caribbean countries. We talked an awful lot about um, South-South cooperation, the, um, uh, the complementarity of different uh, funding modalities. Uh, the Secretary General uh, uh, launched the No One Left Behind report, and inevitably talked about that. Um, and then the high-level meeting, I mean, I'm sure we'll come on to some of the specifics, but one of the most important things for me was um, approving the recommendation on the development humanitarian um, and conflict nexus, um, which is a certain sort of elegant um, <coughs> circularity to it, as I, uh, very early on in my career, uh, worked in the humanitarian field for Save the Children, um, and did um, a lot of work um, on linking relief and development. Um, and then when I was at DFID, um, wrote the first paper on, on security and development. So, you know, things take time, um, but I think we're making progress. Um, and otherwise, I mean, I was just uh, very struck in uh, the senior level meeting about the concern that we are off track in achieving the sustainable development goals. And for all the enthusiasm of 2015, you know, so far they are not mobilizing additional resources. So even though ODA is more or less flat, I mean, there is this terrifying figure that foreign direct investment has gone down by about 30%. Okay, this is going to be an interesting conversation. I think I should be disciplined myself. I've, just having what you said, I've got three things in my head. So let me just bounce them back at you and you can pick up on them. I'm interested in, because we've got, I mean, obviously, one of the things that ODI does a lot on is, is hum the humanitarian work, and Sarah leads that. So it'd be interesting just to pick up your, your highlights from that high-level meeting and what you think is significant coming out of that. I think, the, let me just hit you with three things, and then, so that, that was one thing. The other thing, I was just interested in your your comment about Latin America and the Caribbean and I suppose one of the things that came out I think it was the, the high level panel on DAC reform was how the DAC although I think you're right I mean you're obviously right it's a donor club but how are you going to engage with southern partners I mean how 
do you think you could do that differently? Um, and then, uh, then, uh, then obviously we, maybe we will come back later on the off track, the SDG okay. thing, and okay. leaving no one behind and the relevance of that. But I don't know if you want to pick any of those so threads. Let's start with with the with the humanitarian development um, recommendation. I mean, a, a DAC recommendation is is a, a sort of legal mandate to allow the DAC to hold its members to account. Um, to improve, um, I mean, it's the sort of stuff that ODI has been writing about for decades, you know, to, to, to make sure that um, humanitarian and development interventions are properly coordinated, don't have a cliff edge, are greater than the sum of their parts. Now, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing that the DAC as such can do to deliver that on the ground. I mean, that's, that's for the operational agencies. Um, what we can do, both in peer reviews um, and in meetings and other, other statistical work, is to make sure that our members deliver on it. Mm. So, so it, it's, it's about accountability, it's about transparency, and I hope um, more and more it'll be about sharing best practice, but critically in this very difficult space about you know, being quite honest about what doesn't work terribly well. Um, the other piece is, is you know, how we, how we try and tackle um, another terrifying statistic, which is somewhere between a quarter and a third of official development assistance going on humanitarian. And as we know, every um, euro that goes on um, humanitarian relief doesn't go on development. Um, so we've got to find a way of, again, discussing and incentivizing our, our members and our, and our partners to get much, much better at conflict prevention. Um, so it's, I mean, I, you know, I'd be very interested to hear what, what your thinking of it is, because it, you know, having just come from Ethiopia, which has a, a, a you know, every year has a, has a structural uh, food crisis plus you know, this year, conflict, periodic drought. I mean, it, it is absorbing huge amounts of resource, huge amounts of, of money that I would much rather was spent on, on development. Um, but the climate change and demographic pressures and, and just so many people trying to survive on rainfall agriculture means that we're not out of the woods yet. Okay, we might come, we'll come back to that. But just on the, the other point about um, you know, southern voice, mm. and and so just do you, I suppose you, do you, the worry is I suppose you have a donor club, and the donor club does what it thinks best. And, yeah. and how are you going to get more voice, more transparency, more engagement, or or is that necessary? It's definitely necessary. I mean, I I I think it's work in progress, Simon. To be honest, I mean, I, on transparency, I I think the fact that. You know, we have the peer reviews, that we collect the data, that we publish it. I think we're not doing badly. I know, you know, some civil society organisations would like access to my inbox. It's not that exciting, to be honest. Um, and, and, you know, we, it, is, it is a bureaucracy and a multilateral, and, and there are member states who have particular positions. So I, I think we're not doing badly on transparency. Um, we are, um, I think, doing well um, with... Um, Arab world donors, and, and I think, I mean, the, you know, the Latin America and Caribbean was obviously my first one, but it, there was a definite willingness uh, to continue the process and, and to continue the engagement. Um, I don't think that 
the DAC has to replicate what's happening already around the world. So part of my job, I think, is to get out there to existing fora elsewhere and spread the word of the DAC. So, um, you know, I'll be going to Buenos Aires in 10 days' time to the BAPA plus 40 event on South-South cooperation. I don't think we should, you know, do exactly the same um, at the DAC. Um, civil society organisations, I mean, my predecessor... Uh, put a huge amount of effort into getting more civil society engagement. I spent the afternoon before my two days of meetings with civil society. Um, they attended both meetings and I mean they spoke um, you know, a lot in, in, in the sessions. I don't think you know, either I or they think it's, it's ideal yet, but it's certainly opening up the space. I mean one of the questions that I had was, what do we mean by civil society? And, and to be honest, I mean, those who want to engage most with the DAC are those who are in the business of either development advocacy or, or delivery or both. Um, and I think if one were to ask the question of um, our recipients, they might have a rather different interpretation of civil society. I mean, for example, you know, the media or, or some of the more political organizations. So, I mean, that, that's something I'd sort of you know, push back to them. I think, um, and it would be a, a sort of general comment, I also said to them, I'm, I'm very keen to deepen the dialogue, um, to make it more regular, but on the condition that civil society organizations seek to become part of the solution to these enormous challenges that we're facing collectively. I mean, yes, they have to hold me and the DAC to account, but it's so easy to criticize and it's much much harder to say we think if you did this it would make a difference so i think you know that's uh that for me is fairly near the top of Can the I agenda ask you that? just actually building on that because we touched on this before is it i mean so for odi which is you know our strap line is you know evidence ideas change that's what we want to do and i think there are many ngos sitting in the room who are who are about policy influence so how, how do we influence people like you or influence the, not, not necessarily you personally, but how do we, what should we be doing better? How, what would be our use, most useful contribution if we want to shape the future of aid, if we want to shape a better world? What should we be doing? I mean, is it just burying you in yeah. 100 page reports? Is that not the answer? That, please, no, I've got plenty of those um, on my desk already. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, it's engagement, it's this sort of thing. It's really helped. I mean, and I, you know, I will take as much from this, if not more, as um, as I will give. Um, I'm very keen, actually, to get more um, speakers to come to the DAC to talk about particular things, because our our, our membership, um, you know, some of them are development specialists, others aren't. Um, I think communicating in, I mean, you know, we're, I know we're all sort of down to 140-something characters, but you know, very few people have time to read reports like that. Um, so the more that there can be um, products that, that busy bureaucrats uh, can digest. Um, and it's probably trying to put yourselves in the shoes of people who are having to operate in a very political environment. Um, so I think I, I, we were just talking very briefly beforehand, and I... Um, you know, I was being a bit swatty on the Eurostar and reading ODI's recent publications or the summaries thereof. And there was one that was talking about the need 
um, for all debt donors to get up to 0.7. Well, you know, that is a very politically contested space. So I think that, you know, that's got to be um, addressed by ODI. Um, the fact that, you know, official development assistance is more or less flat in real terms. Um, there was another point about needing to target, um, you know, the very, very poorest countries. And I think, I think Australia had been signaled out as, as sort of coming furthest down on this sort of two-way matrix of effectiveness and something else. And there's a very good reason for that. I mean, Australia is investing in small island economies in its neighbourhood. It's going to continue to do that. Um, so it, it, it's introducing a bit more sort of realpolitik into the technical and economic analysis that would um, make it uh, you know, even more relevant. Um, okay, we might come back on that. I suppose just in terms of your, your, the other point you just picked up on earlier where you said that you know, we're off track on the SDGs and you've just launched the, um, the LNOB report, the Leaving No One Behind report. So, I mean, what's your take on, I mean, I mean, I suppose in a way, will your tenure at, at DAC be, in a sense, I don't mean this kind of personally, but will it say over the next five years, you know, the, the donor community, the development assistance community has, has, has made no impact on, on the challenges that it set itself? Or are you hopeful, optimistic? What, I mean, what needs to significantly change? Um, I mean, I think... There are two parts to this question, three parts actually. I mean, the first thing is leaving no one behind is an incredibly difficult thing to do. I mean, you know, even rich societies don't manage to do that. So, you know, in a way, what we're talking about is inequality. And it's very clear, I mean, say from our, our Latin American and Caribbean dialogue, that inequality is increasing at, at a frightening rate, even in countries that are, that are doing relatively well in terms of middle income country status. So, our Latin American colleagues said, if you really don't want to leave anybody behind, therefore you should make uh, graduation uh, less of a cliff edge, you should make us eligible. But of course, every uh, ODA contribution that goes to a Latin American country doesn't go to the very poorest ones. So you've got to think, you know, are we talking about poor people within countries or are we talking just about the poorest countries? Um, the second thing for me, and I, and I said this at the launch, uh, and if there's going to be a focus of my tenure, it will be this. I was I mean, shocked and frankly ashamed to learn that only 4% of ODA goes to gender equality. Four. Um, and that 63% of ODA has no gender equality objective at all. We have overwhelming evidence from, from you know, a long time now to show that if you invest in women and girls, um, I mean, you, it's win-win. You know, women, uh, girls who go to school um, will earn more, will uh, have greater control over their reproductive health, will, will get married later, will space their children, will send their children to school, will spend the money that they earn on reducing household poverty. Etc. 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 So, leaving no one behind, a pretty good place to start is with the 52% of the uh, those who are left behind who who are women and girls. And I think, unless we do something about that, it's extremely unlikely that we're going to make progress on other groups. And again, there is overwhelming evidence to show that societies that uh, score relatively highly on gender equality 
tend to score much better on disability and other forms of exclusion and vulnerability. So that's where we need to start. Right, and that's going to be a priority. That it is, yep. Brilliant. Okay, well, and I'm sure people want to come back on that as well. I've got two quick questions, then I'll throw it open. I mean, one just on the, um, the graduation point that you just touched on. I mean, at the moment, the only kind of criteria is, is basically an income one. And I think ODI and others have been arguing for a much broader set, set of criteria. I mean, where, do you see that changing? Oh, gosh, this, this is a real can of worms, Simon, as you know. I mean, the DAC is a, is a, is a consensus-based organisation. So, and I, um, you know, my job is to, to find the middle ground, uh, to knit opposing views together, and, and then to try and um, provide some leadership in terms of the best of development cooperation. I have to say, I mean, after 14 days, I don't see a huge amount of appetite for changing that definition. Uh, and I think one of the reasons for that is that it is so complicated. And, and you know, you, you would have at least 30 views on how it should be changed. Um, so that's not to say it's not important, uh, but as I say, at the moment, I don't think it's top of most people's agenda. Okay, and, and then the, I suppose, Key question as well for for us, and I think ODI's done quite a lot of work on this. Is the whole the, the, the DAC definition, private sector concessional lending? Um, where are we on that? Where are you on that? Because I suppose sitting in the UK, there's obviously UK pressure um, to change the rules, and the fact that you're from the UK does that make a difference? I mean, how does that play out? Um, I. You know, I represent the entire uh, Development Assistance Committee. Uh, it was actually one of the, you know, the questions when I was um, interviewed by by the committee was, you know, can we be sure that you'll be independent? Um, and the short answer is yes. I mean, there's, you know, I, I'm uh, my my um, mistresses and masters now are, are the DAC members. Um, so if there is uh, a position adopted by any member that does not have a consensus, then it's unlikely to get through. I mean, I think the uh, private sector instrument thing is, uh, it's much misunderstood, I have to say. I mean, there's a lot of opinion on it, um, and it's very complicated, and I don't pretend to understand it all yet. Um, but, you know, the, the, the debate on I mean, there was a, I think the decision was taken four or five years ago that you know, we needed to um, count instrumental and institutional. I mean, it's basically when the money goes in and when it comes out simply, and that you, at the moment we can count both of it. Um, the decision that was taken by the committee in December before I joined, I mean, my, my fabulous vice chairs were um, doing the hard work on that, was purely about how we would um, count ODA for 2018, and the decision was we need more evidence to know what we should do about this. Um, so that's you know I, um, that that's where we are. Um, uh, will it come back on the agenda? Absolutely. When I don't yet know. Um, I mean I I I would sort of frame the question a little bit differently, which is you know, what's the problem we're trying to address? The problem we're trying to address is that we don't have nearly enough resource to achieve the SDGs um, or to do the things that we say we want to do. So how are we going 
to crowd in uh, other forms of finance. And the role of the DAC will be to make sure that, that uh, those resources, to the extent possible, uh, meet standards of best practice. And I, so I would want to sort of flip it. Okay. I think if, I think if um, you know, if we go down, there's the, we often sort of go down technical rabbit holes when things get too complicated. Um, and at the end of the day, this is a political decision. This is a political decision about um, how members of the DAC um, persuade you know, their taxpayers, their public, to continue giving money, how they engage with, with other sources of finance, I mean, whether it's the private sector or you know, multilateral development banks or whatever. That, that's the issue. Um, and then and then it's how we score it. So I, I and I think, I mean, more generally, I'm very struck um, by how much the world has changed. I mean, even since 2015, um, and the sort of optimism we had, the Addis Ababa summit with the SDGs. Um, you know, we we need to to keep recalibrating how we how we keep this this program on track. Um, and I think to do that, we need to be looking forward rather than in the rearview mirror. Okay, that's helpful. Actually, we've got an, an interesting report coming out about blended instruments just about to issue, which hopefully will contribute to that debate. So that would be good. I think I'm going to open it up actually now. Um, I've, I'll pick up um, um, questions online, but just maybe while I just get my technology sorted out, um, any questions in the room? I'm going to go to the lady there and then I'll go to... Oh, lots of questions. I'll go to you first, then I'll go to the, this other lady here, then to Gideon, and then I'll pick up. I think we've got mics roving around. If you could speak into the mic. If you could also actually say you know, who you are and, and, and maybe which organisation you're from, that would be really helpful. Sure, of course. Thank you. I'm Harpinder Collicott. I'm the Executive Director of Development Initiatives. And this is a very timely and pertinent, pertinent discussion. One of the things I wanted to pick up on uh, that you mentioned was around... What is the appetite of the DAC members with regards to actually improving their targeting of, of their, the ODA as well, particularly with regards to women and girls? As you've mentioned, it's an important agenda. There's strong evidence with regards to the impact it has on wider development outcomes. So what's the appetite there? But also to target much more specifically poorer people in poorer countries where resources are low. Again, we have to be very clear that ODA is not an, an infant resource. It has particular um, purposes. It has uh, areas where it's going to be much more effective. What is the appetite there of the donors to actually think much more strategically and evidence-based on what works where and how ODA can be directed into those places? Great question. Well, yeah, we certainly, you do you take a few? We'll take three. Is that all right? Yeah. And then we'll come back. That, that'd be fantastic. Sorry. And yes, please. Um, I think there's a microphone just behind you. Thank you. Um, thank you for your very informative uh, presentation and uh, questions already. So um, um, I just did my PhD with ideas. My research area focused on evaluation, especially development evaluation. And also, I'm Chinese, so my questions relate to these two areas. So firstly, uh, in terms of China as an emerging donor, so what's the um, um, strategic kind of uh, direction in terms of involving or engage China as emerging donor? That's the first question. Second question relates to my own research area uh, uh, in terms of evaluation. Because last year, I, I was following up the discussion with 
uh, inter, uh, independent evaluation groups um, evaluation unit, uh, Carolyn Heider, she's uh, she's updating the evaluation criteria. I mean. Uh, by OECD. So um, I, I want to know the current status in terms of uh, the updating of evaluation criteria. That's my two questions. Thank you. And Gideon, just behind, yeah, thank you. Uh, Gideon Rabinowitz from Oxfam GB. Um, firstly, just to welcome the progress that has been made on CSO Dialogue. Um, I've got colleagues in Paris who've been working around that and have seen some very welcome progress, so that is great. And we take on board the challenge that you've thrown our way. My question is, um, questions are around the, the ODA definition. I think one of the biggest concerns of NGOs has been the, the, the lack or the limits of evidence that have been brought to bear in that debate. It's been a very political discussion, but with very limited evidence around what type of uh, reforms the definition actually will help and are actually going to incentivize the right development practice that we need. So it'd be interesting to know what plans the DAC has um, to, number one, generate evidence more broadly around this question of, of how appropriate the definition is, but also look at the changes that have been made recently and, and whether the sort of the right incentives have emerged from, from those changes. And then related to that, um, I think another concern of ours is that the definition agenda, and I suppose I'm, I'm sort of doing this myself, has dominated the discussions in the DAC. So if we want to get um, more progress on, on things like leave no one behind, we need to find a way to sort of structure and make peri more periodical the, the, the discussions around definitions. If we had reviews with evidence every three, four, five years, and we, we made it a, a more structured dialogue, it wouldn't necessarily dominate the agenda in the way that it, that it is now, where constantly new questions are being brought to bear on the definition in a way that is in some ways dominating the debate and, and leaving limited space for issues like gender and, and leave no one behind. So, Can I just be clear what you mean by definition? You're talking about what's, what, what's what, eligible. What's, well, what's eligible and what activities are eligible yeah. to be reported as well, yeah. Okay, thanks. Um, let's just pick up on those three because they're all chunky. There's yeah, more questions are. I know in the room, but um, and I've got some online as well. So. Suzanne, do you okay, want I mean, look, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to give you, um, you know, full answers because I just haven't been there long enough. Uh, but I'll, I'll do my best and invite me back again in a year and I'll do better. We'll do that. We'll so, dar it in. Um, hop in that, I mean, the appetite of DAC members to improve targeting, you know, on women, on the poor. I mean, you know, I, I think the only thing I can say there is that in the senior level meeting, there was a lot of. Um, agreement on the need to do more on women in particular. Uh, I, to be honest, I think it's, you know, how much you, you, you focus on the very poorest places, it depends, is the short answer. And there's a lot of evidence in our reports, and, and I'm sure yours, that, that shows. Um, you know, countries have, have different priorities. Um, and as we were saying earlier, I mean, you know, do you focus on the very poorest countries? Or do you focus on very poor people within countries? Um, so there isn't a there isn't an easy answer to that. Um, and as I said earlier, you know any um, any changes on this is a negotiation. Uh, but that's why I think focusing on women and girls is so important because uh, one because it works, and also it then allows countries that have you know different policy priorities um, to be able to maintain those policy priorities. Um, but, but nevertheless, to make, to make progress on leaving no one behind. Um, I mean, great question on China. Um, 
I mean, my personal view is that China is such an important player in development assistance, particularly in Africa, that nobody who is serious about development um, can not engage with China. Uh, there is, uh, at, the, at present, quite a lot of technical engagement, I mean, in the, in the development center in particular. And, um, you know, it is sort of under discussion as to, to precisely what, what the DAC should do. I mean, you will be more aware than, um, than anyone, you know, that there are obviously sort of sensitivities and issues. But I, I think as a, as a community, you know, if we don't get serious about engaging with China, we will be uh, judged very harshly in, in 10 or, or 20 years' time. Um, I'm afraid I don't, I mean, when you say evaluation criteria, are you talking about peer reviews or more generally? Okay. As very general guidelines in evaluation. Yeah, okay. So I, it's my um, assistant, <laughs> my advisor, Joachim, who I, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm sort of, Joachim, you have the floor. <laughs> so it's been uh, prepared uh, in the network of evaluators, the evaluation network, and then it will be brought to the DAC, and uh, the aim is to have a decision during the fall. So it'll be first discussed and then. Uh, so that's the time frame for the evaluation criteria. I haven't got to the autumn diary yet, I'm afraid, but I, um, I will make a note. Um, Gideon, Oxfam, I mean, I, again, I, I, to be honest, I don't feel um, able to answer your question comprehensively. Um, I, I mean, you know, the eligibility criteria are always going to be important precisely because DAC members are having to manage their domestic constituents. And I think because, you know, the world is changing. The world is changing very, very fast. I mean, if I, if I think of, um, you know, what developing countries want now, um, certainly if you, if you spoke to, you know, where I've just come from and I think much of East Africa, it's jobs, jobs, jobs. Um, and I think it's very easy for us to forget that all those children um, who were alive because of the progress that was made on achieving the Millennium Development Goals are now in their late teens and early 20s. Um, and they have huge expectations. Uh, and so they and their, their governments want, want something quite, quite different. Um, I mean, the second thing I would say is, you know, if you take the, the, the peacekeeping 7 to 15%, I mean, it's, it's a tragedy, but it's true. It is very, very difficult to make progress on any sustainable development outcomes unless peace breaks out. And, you know, all the data shows that, that extreme poverty is going to be concentrated in conflict-affected places. And I think, I mean, the DAC has to address that question. Now, I'm afraid I, I have not read yet the um, mountains of reports about the, the data and the evidence. I mean, Joachim probably has if you want to add something. Um, so I don't know, but I'm sure it's in there somewhere. But I, you know, it's, it's really tricky, this, this how you strike the right balance between preserving the integrity of odour, and odour is a very, very special kind of resource, 
um, and you know the sort of Heineken resource, if you like, that reaches all those people that, that other resources don't, versus the reality on the ground. And you know, I've just spent three and a half years in the Horn of Africa. Um, I mean, it is, you know, it is conflict and climate change, and bad governments that are holding back the Somalias of the world, the South Sudans. I mean, we, you know, we we've spent. Um, so much trying to make a country like South Sudan succeed. Um, unless, we, unless we get the conflict sorted out and the stealing from its people, I mean, no, we can't do anything else, you know? So I think we've got to, it's not simply a question of, I, I sometimes get asked about, you know, is, is odor being diluted? Is it being polluted? And you sort of say, well, let's really ask um, citizens in those countries what they need and what they think. Um, and I, I mean, just looping back to your earlier question about engagement. I mean, you know, we're a, we're a donor club, but I think we need to listen much more to the voices of people in those countries because, sadly, you know, their, their governments don't necessarily represent them. Um, and that's another thing that I would really welcome from our civil society engagement is, is some of those, those loud and powerful civil society voices from conflict and fragile states. Actually, I've got, I'll, I'll come back to people in the room. Nice comment, actually, somebody from World Vision has commented, actually, Susanna, they're picking up your point about gender equality um, and their research, I think she's saying, the low level of UK going to SDG 16.2, ending violence against children. And, and actually her question is, could, do you see a role that that could have in, in aligning monitoring of odour with SDG goals? I mean, and actually particularly what you said about gender, I mean, is there a way in which the actual monitoring framework could be... Oh, gosh, you're getting... It's, I know, it's a bit technical. It is a bit technical. Give me time. I mean, there, you know, there's... So... There is some monitoring. I don't think it's completely aligned yet. Um, I don't know. I, Joachim, I, is that um, something that has been discussed at length and dismissed? Or uh, no. no. I mean, maybe the, the you know the the place to ask that is at this four-year stock take in New York this summer, um, because that you know that I think will convey um, the sense of urgency that that I and many others feel. Um, I mean, there's an awful lot of targets, as you know, so it may be that, that you need to, you know, select some that we think are transformational. And I mean, for me, it, it, it would be uh, the two things, you know, how much is specifically targeted on women and girls and then how much is mainstreamed. Um, okay. But uh, let me take a rain check on right. that. Right, so we've got a lady there who's keen to say, well, two, oh, lots. Okay, I'll go the lady in the black, then I'll come to the lady in the purple, and then the lady behind, and then we'll try and be even and go to a man at the back. Yes, that's, how's that? Yes, please. Um, hello, thank you so much for an insightful conversation. I'm Fatin Hossein from the International Development Committee at the House of Commons. I happen to be managing an inquiry into DFID's work on disability at the moment. I'm really pleased to hear you mentioning disability within um, the work with women and girls that you're trying to lead on. I wondered whether you also have figures on how much uh, of the order that of the money is spent on disability. I've been struck by the material I'm writing that if you're uh, looking into women being disadvantaged, um, trying to reach the poorest of the poor, that peoples with disability are always at an even bigger disadvantage because of the power dynamics here. 
Um, so is this something that you think would uh, gain more attention in the coming few years um, within the DAC or not? And the second question you mentioned about the South, uh, the cooperation with South donors, that you're doing well with Arab donors, if I heard right. If you could say a bit more about that. Thank you very much. Okay. I mean, on disability, I would point you to the Leave No One Behind report. It, it's um, a, a centimetre and a half thick. And there is a section in that on, on I don't have the, the figure to hand, I'm afraid, but what I would reiterate is that there is evidence to show that societies that do better on women and girls tend also to do better on, on disability. Um, but I'm sure that the, the number is in there. The Arab dialogue, I'll be honest with you, this was before I started, the last one was in Kuwait, um, but... Um, I mean, the headlines from that are that they are very keen to engage, um, you know, in terms of, you know, what they're doing and, and what we're doing. So we will have that as a regular, uh, a regular dialogue. And some of them, interestingly, came to the Latin American and Caribbean one and invited me um, to, to visit, which I will do. I've, um, I've got a pretty busy travel schedule this year. I mean, I'm, I'm prioritizing... Um, capitals of the of the member states um, because I think that's a you know those are important relationships to have but also as I said earlier um, sort of events that are in the south so that I'm, I'm not sort of generating work for people but things like the BAPA plus 40 so that I can can you know, promote the DAC while also um, staying in touch with, with what's happening in, in developing countries. Actually, there's loads of questions coming in. Let me just throw two, two at you from the online, and then I will come back to, the, I will come back to you. Actually, somebody on the BAPA, somebody just actually said um, on the, the meeting in Buenos Aires, um, I would like to ask her what are her expectations about this meeting and what she would like to see as an outcome or outcomes from that meeting. Uh, oh, I, I mean, I don't know. No, no, okay. no, it's impossible. I mean, what the reason I'm going is because we, I mean, we had the organisers of it um, presenting uh, what they were doing on South-South cooperation, and there was a huge amount of interest in the room. And to be honest with you, I don't feel I know enough about South-South cooperation. I mean, when I um, worked in India, I... I, I we did a lot of work on it, but that was you know, a decade ago. So I, I will be in learning mode. Um, I think it's also, again, I think it sends an important signal that as the incoming DAC chair, I'm not just going to you know, sit in Paris or London or that, that, I, that I do want to go and learn from, from what developing countries are doing. I think another question coming about, you, know, you mentioned, touched on the issue about China, but people, and obviously you'll pick up with Brazil, but somebody's made a point about your know, engagement with the BRICS more generally, and that's which you've kind of touched on. So let me move on to the sorry, lady there and then the lady on the behind. Thank you. Good morning, Liliana Parra, independent consultant from Colombia. Actually, my question was about South-South cooperation. Uh, it's increasingly important. It's been going on for a long time. So my question is, there, are there any priorities in the DAC to make it more sustainable and effective? So I, I think there's a lot of interest in it, but not much understanding. And that's another reason for me going. Um, but I think the fact that you know we had a, a, a session was what sort of couple of hours devoted to sort of, um, Latin American and Caribbean countries sharing their experiences shows that there is interest. 
but um, but I say not not a huge amount. Okay, we'll pick up the ladies' question then, and Samville at the back, and then maybe we'll take these two together, and then okay. we'll yeah. Is that okay? Thanks, uh, Claire Godfrey from um, head of uh, policy and campaigns at um, Bond, and I wanted to ask: um, Do you think donors are DAC donors are doing enough to leverage public finance, um, particularly compared to? private finance and do you think the DAC could do more to insensitize that and ensure that um, public finance is targeted towards the SDGs and, and just a quick comment on um, civil society I think um, civil society is a counterbalance to the state and the um, the state in and government's responsible for uh, human rights obligations and so therefore I think there's always going to be a, a built-in necessary antagonism um, there so I think we need to take to, to take that account and um, and to not blur the the lines too much but that said I do agree that you know we need to um, work together practically but I just wanted to make that uh, highlight that difference right at the back actually oh good thanks Thank you. Um, I'm a public finance consultant. Uh, I was in Uganda recently doing a evaluation of development partnership of national development plan. The issues you have mentioned or initiatives you have mentioned came across during the meetings, including uh, humanitarian development, private sector financing, engagement with non-traditional donors, China, etc., etc. My question is, uh, what do you think? How much of these issues? needs to be taken at the central level versus at the fields level. Because there are a lot of these initiatives and engagement discussions, how much it should be taken at the central level or and how much it should be taken at the country by level. Central, by central level, do you mean by like DFID in London influencing the DFID office in Uganda? Is that or are you talking about or donors on the ground donors in Kampala? The because there are development partnership on the ground and sometimes this development partnership is coordinated by the government. So how much do you think uh, you can take at the dark level and how much this needs to be taken at the country levels? Okay. Mm. okay. Um, so Claire Bond, I mean, CSO, of course. I mean, that, that's that's kind of says it in the title, but I still think, I think the, you know, it's a, it's a little bit, it's a little like, bit like when we talk about the private sector, I don't think, it's not a competition. Um, and, and there is a way of, you know, the, these, these problems are so complicated and so difficult that what I would like to see is, is some, you know, putting our heads together to, um, to try and come up with some innovative thinking. Um, but no, and I mean, look, we're very happy to be to be held to account, um, but you know, I want some good ideas. Um, I need some. I need some help, to be honest. Um, public finance. Are you talking about domestic resource mobilisation in in recipient countries? Um, broadly, yes. Yeah, but, um, absolutely central, um, and something that. I mean, there's there's a lot of very interesting work going on in the OECD more more widely about this, but. Um, you know, it, it, we are not going to make progress unless we, we get that right. Now, I mean, how much the DAC can influence that um, is, is, is more complicated. Um, but I think it's a very, you know, it's a very good illustration of us needing to sort of think beyond ODA 
and to see how we can, can join up these, these different sources. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I've understood your question, but it would seem to me that this is not country level or DAC. It's actually the development agencies or country level. Um, so, I mean, but I don't think that's so much for the DAC. I mean, I think it's that, you know, USAID or Swedish CEDA or whatever. I mean, that, that will be a conversation within the development ministry or the development agency, how much they devolve, if you like. Uh, but I think for the DAC, um, you know, we, we, we're, I think we're operating at a slightly more sort of strategic level, probably. If I, I'm not sure I understood your question. Please come back if I, if I didn't. Um, in general, uh, regarding the blended financing, humanitarian development, private sector, how much of these discussions needs to be happening at the central level versus at the local level? The same in regard to engagement with non-traditional development partners, uh, for instance, China and others, when there's a lot of uh, assistance um, coming from them at the country level. Is the answer uh, because you know one of the things that I mean I think that the DAT needs more of is is more evidence of what's what's happening on the ground, what's working, and what isn't. Um, and and you know I I think one of the useful things the DAT does is is to if you like pool all that expertise, bring in people you know from from developing countries, but also specialists, to have the conversation. And I, I, you know, I hope very much one of the things that, that we can build on is, is making sure there's more of an iteration between the sort of rather high-level conversations we have and, and what this actually feels like. Actually, it was just a nice plug for an ODI publication here, because we did some work called The Age of Choice, one of the case studies was on Uganda, looking at actually the choice that the government of Uganda has in terms of um, financing from different um, sources, both conventional donors and new sources, and and that is a useful contribution. And and actually, we, and as I said, we've got some interesting work coming out on blended finance. So I think there was a question on from Sam. Can and I I'm, ask a question? Got, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Go on. Yes. Yeah, yeah, um, why not? Because I, I mean, actually, one one of the things that's worrying me is the whole development effectiveness agenda. So we talk a lot about development effectiveness and this GPDC. Yeah. We talk a lot about impact. And, and I mean, my sense is that it, it, we're not making very much progress, yeah. to be honest. And I think that's, that's partly to do with um, domestic issues in, um, in DAC member countries, uh, you know, the... the the zeitgeist is challenging and it's changed. It's partly to do with, I think, development effectiveness. It's, I mean, it's talking to the conoscenti, but it's not talking to the wider world. Um, I don't know whether it was because we, we set ourselves too much of a, a, a challenge, but I mean, my question to you is, what do I do about it? Okay. And have you got any, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've got something I can read, Simon. But no, you know, no, no. <laughs> anybody no, I should talk to. No, 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 no. no. It's a good challenge um, to us. We won't just bury you in paper. So I've got Sam, and then I'll come to Sarah, and I've got some other comments online as well. So Sam, did you? So and also just for those of you in the room and online, so Susanna's in the market for ideas on development, how to stimulate or in, uh, reinvigorate the development effectiveness debate. So answers on a postcard. Yeah, and and I mean. You know, is development effectiveness the same as impact? Has impact overtaken development effectiveness? Is it? 
Okay, yeah. so hopefully we get some ideas back as well. But Sam, you go. Good afternoon. I'm Sam. I'm a senior research fellow, and I've been working on this blended finance issue. Um, so I'll be uh, just brief. It's really a plea, actually, and a plug. Um, firstly, on the ODA modernization, you know, you've recognized it, and we know it's very complex. It's gone down a technical rabbit hole as such. And you've highlighted the need really to kind of strip it back to the problem that we need to address. And in that light, the need for evidence. So in that light, I'm looking forward to sharing with you a report coming out, which is looking actually at leverage ratios in countries, country income categories and sectors, etc., to kind of try and calibrate, you know, this, this discussion. Uh, so hopefully it can help you there. And in that sense, you also mentioned about trying to get more engagement with the DAC and outside kind of speakers and ex experts. So hopefully we'd like to speak to you about that. Um, but in the meantime, I think it's a plea for transparency. You said that the DAC was doing rather well. And I, I would question that when it comes to the recent reform, particularly with respect to private sector instruments. Um, and without getting too technical, and it is your second week in the job, um, there has been a whole level of transparencies which has been removed, for example, by the ability of, of donors, for example, the UK, to report the 3.5 billion capitalisation as, as ODA. Um, and for researchers, for example, or the, or the taxpayer, they need to then go to the CDC kind of database and et cetera. So I think you get, so the idea is, 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 is more transparency, but also it's very difficult, for example, on the recent reform, uh, there's communication on how certain things are treated and then there's silence on, on, on other things. So I think kind of just a plea to kind of uh, be more transparent. We recognise that there are challenges, but I think if there's more transparency, we can kind of try and understand actually what's, what's going on. Thank you. Okay, thank you. That's a really good challenge. I mean, I, and I, um, let me take that away. I mean, I, I, I'm not into the detail enough on specifically on that one. And look, I mean, you know, something that will give us some evidence about leverage ratios is critically important. Because I must confess, we also go, yeah, blended finance, we'll, as if we all know exactly what it means. And it is the leverage ratios that, that really make a difference. So I look forward to it. Maybe you'll come and, come and brief the committee. But we are civilians, remember, so you have no, to... No, we'll, um, <laughs> we'll get her to talk in, yeah, very broad, not, broad, broad language, not just very technical, and we'll, we'll buy her a ticket on the Eurostar, that's for sure. Um, Sarah. Thanks, Simon. I'm Sarah Fantriana, Acting Executive Director to the Eye with Simon. Thank you, Susanna, for being here and for such an engaging conversation. It's very timely because it also chimes with a lot of thinking on these issues. Uh, you know, we continue to have it to the eye. I want to go back to the, com the beginning of the conversation and, you know, the human, the, the perennial debate on humanitarian development um, and now peace nexus. And you're right that it takes a long time to, you know, make, um, you know, to advance on this agenda, but we have been going at it for 30 years or more and you know sometimes I kind of think we, we see this reinvention of the labels you know we started with the continuum we went to the contiguum linking relief and rehabilitation and development and then you know early recovery resilience you name it and now we have the nexus and and there is you know a, a danger that we just 
slightly reframe the the discussion, but we actually don't really, you know, make um, serious advancement on, on the agenda. I mean, I really welcome, I, I read very carefully the recommendations of, you know, the, the high-level panel, particularly when it comes to the joint analysis and the country-based joint analysis, which is, you know, a, a prerequisite. But we've done a lot of work on this at ODI, on this agenda for a long time. And, and quite frankly, until the structures, the incentives and the culture change. I think these, you know, risks remaining um, at best an ambition and worse an enduring frustration for all of us that work on this agenda. So it would be, you know, really good to, to, to carry on the discussion about what we can really do and help you, you know, do to achieve some tangible change during your tenure um, on this agenda. Right. I've got some, Susan, do you want to just pick up on yeah, that? Yeah, I one? mean, look. Sadly, Sarah, there are no silver bullets on this. Um, and, and, you know, what we managed to do with the recommendation last week was just one little brick in the wall, but it's only as good as, um, you know, as you say, the, the, you know, the agencies concerned, it's only as good as, as their willingness to change. And, you know, I, I do think it's very cultural. Um, you know, very, very cultural. And I mean, having worked on both sides, I, you know, I understand the ethnography of both villages. Um, and and what, what I find, you know, sort of worrying, quite exhausting, is actually how little it's changed. Um, because we, we know it has to. And even when you have, you know, more or less permanent crises, it still doesn't really change. So I don't know what we do about that, whether we, you know, it is incentives, but I think it, it's um, it, it's having different sorts of conversations, getting people in the room. Um, but, you know, un unfortunately, I mean, we know that the resource competition is driving an awful lot of this. I've got a question from Brussels. Um, the DAC has made great progress on formal tying of aid, or probably, I assume, progress well, untying. on untying. Yeah, I think <laughs> I mean. current, but, but current research shows that informal tying remains high as a consequence of procurement yeah. policies. Any kind of, these are very specific ones. Yeah. Any, any comments on that? And I've got two others which are quite specific as well. Um, there's a, a morning greeting from Canada just come in, which is very nice. But please ask the DAC chair about action being taken by DAC on sexual harassment and abuse yes. of staff at UN agencies, UN AIDS, for example, and why so little action is being taken by donor member countries to seek results. So that's a kind of. So how about those two? Okay, starters? so the untying, I agree, um, and you know I think we need we need to sort of keep the conversation going, um, but you know it. it it, it definitely is the case. I, I don't have any detail. So on sexual harassment, I'm not going to talk spe about specific agencies, but we did have a, I think, a very, very important discussion about this um, at our senior level meeting. Um, and, it, you know, it, it, for me, it's a very good example. I think the DAC is, is seen probably not as being quite as fleet of foot on some issues as some would like. But this has been a really very, very rapid response, um, you know, to this scandal. And we have agreement to take the work forward. And I hope, you know, sooner rather than later that it will come back and we will have a, a, a recommendation. It's, uh, it's not without uh, difficulty. And, and, you know, some of the, I mean, I, 
you know, I, there was overwhelming support for the need to do something. Um, I think where the the, the meeting um, raised some questions was that we need to be really careful we do not create a structure or a framework that we then can't deliver against. Um, and you know, this is this is particularly true with some of third-party operators. So again, I mean, I, I think you know the DAC as as the the sort of rule setter. Um, what we need to do is to say this is what we think best practice looks like. Ideally, you know, get get it into the mandate. But then it is up to the agencies concerned to again, and it comes back to culture to change change the culture. I mean, this you know this this is about everybody. Um, and and it's it's really important, um, I think, for, for for anybody working in this business to take personal responsibility to make sure this doesn't happen. Okay, I've got any other questions in the room, Marcus? Yeah, and then I'll come to Adrian, and then I've got one on. I've got a couple more online as well, actually, at the moment. So those of you online, keep sending the questions in. We are getting through them, so we won't ignore you. But Marcus, you go. Hi, Marcus Cox here from Agala Supplied Knowledge, and I work with the UK's Independent Commission for Aid Impact. Um, I have a question as to, as to whether or not you're, you see a, a broader trend in the aid market towards more donor national interest intruding on the, uh, the allocation decisions around aid, and whether you see that as a problem that the DAC should be trying to resist, or whether or not that's just part of the new political reality that we work in. Yes, I bumped into Alison Evans at the DAC last week. She and I are old colleagues. Um, what, what, what's your um, start date? For, you mean for... Yeah. Oh, well, I've got to be involved with ICAI. Yeah, sort of no, but I mean, what's your start date for... For this trend? Yes. Um, I think in the UK, 2015 was the UK age trend. Okay, see, I would... I would sort of take it further back. I mean, I, and I... <laughs> I, I think there was there was you know a golden decade if you like that was approximately sort of you know 97 98 till the financial crash um, and it may not have been as as um, apparent in in all countries but things have changed fundamentally and I think that is due uh, to, to lots of things. I mean, one is that, that in many of the donor countries, you know, austerity is biting. The, uh, you know, people feel that resources should be being spent on, on you know, poverty at home and one thing or another. Uh, I think that, I mean, it loops back to my development effectiveness question, is I think there is um, growing scepticism in some quarters that, you know, does this really work? Um, are we getting value for money? Um, and I think, I think some of the optimism of that golden decade was a little misplaced, to be honest. I mean, I do, I do think there was a sort of feeling if we could, oh, you know, we just get these economies growing, everything will be fine. And we didn't factor in the governance challenges, and we didn't factor in the conflict. We certainly didn't factor in um, demographic pressure, um, jobless growth. So I think there was there's there's a sort of been a coming together of a whole series of things that um, has meant that you know our task is much more difficult, um, but uh, you know that's that's I enjoy a challenge and I don't think we should give up. I I think we do need to be realistic and honest and and one of the things that 
I'm very struck by is how polarized the debate has become. You know, you're, you're either for development assistance or against. Um, and, you know, the truth lies somewhere in the middle, actually. Um, and, and I think that's a, you know, that's a, another role that the DAC can play. I mean, I, I think we need a much um, stronger, uh, fresher, more modern brand and message. And I don't think that message should be, um, uh, you know, too reluctant to say there's got some real problems here. Uh, and these are the things, you know, we'll probably learn more from what's not working than, than what is. Um, and I mean, one of the issues that, that came up um, in, in this meeting was, you know, what do you do? I mean, in particularly in fragile and conflict-affected states, but not exclusively, where there are governments that are really not very interested in poverty reduction. I mean, it's not a rhetorical question, you know. So we, um, I think countries, I mean, it was something that our Latin American colleagues answered is, you know, asked is, they sometimes feel as if success is penalized. That if you do manage to get your, your you know, income levels up, that that's the moment when the resources stop playing. So, you know, it, it's, it's much, that there's a lot of gray um, that, that I, I think we need to spend more time on, to be honest. No, I mean, we've got, um, we, we've actually done quite a lot of work, advisory work and other work, humanitarian work in South Sudan. And, and actually we did a lot of work in terms of getting, um, this was in the Ministry of Finance, getting actually the Ministry of Finance um, accounts and reports online, which actually do, don't make happy reading. Yeah. But, it, but in a way there were people in the Ministry of Finance who were keen to do that. So with support from outside, they were able to do that. And that's not made the situation any better in one sense, but it has made it more transparent. Mm -hmm. So I think there are things at different levels you can do. I've got actually just on, I've got an online question. I think there's several questions about corruption in general. Mm -hmm. You know, what is, what is the DAC doing on <coughs> corruption? But I'll just leave that just hanging and just pull in the question from Adrian and then maybe you can come back on that one as well. Thank you. Um, hello, Susanna. Adrian Hewitt, uh, ODI. Um, I, I'd like to ask you how confident you are of keeping the Americans on board during your term. Um, you mentioned that the DAC and presumably the OECD itself is a multilater multilateral institution in your opening remarks. Um, this administration has been uh, more, shall we say, ambiguous towards multilateral bodies than any since it all started with um, with Truman, if you like, going right back to Truman. And certainly in the first few decades of the DAC, the chairman was always a man and was always uh, an American. Uh, and you're neither of the above. So how is your task, uh, how does the task ahead look to you? Thank you. Um, I mean, look, it, it, it is my job to keep all members on board. Um, and I think um, many DAC members I mean, it goes back to my answer about the sort of golden decade, are, are far more, uh, well, are, are dealing with publics um, and, and in some cases uh, governments that are far more sceptical about aid than they used to be. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's the job, if you like. Um, I mean, if, if, if everybody were um, pulling in the same direction, then, then I, I wouldn't have a job. Um, you know, they are an extremely important donor. Um, and, and 
uh, and we have, you know, I would sort of emphasize the fact I think there are many, many members who for a variety of reasons are uh, either, you know, questioning the validity of ODA, unable to give as much as they used to. Uh, you know, I'm thinking some countries, um, you know, others who um, are spending it on particular things rather than others. But I mean, it, 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 it is a, there are a very broad set of political views. I mean, I think, Adrian, your, your, your question sort of goes to the heart of my job, which is essentially it's a diplomatic and a political job. It's not a technical one. And, and you know, that is really important, um, that, that um, you know, I, I, if I'm going to be effective, I have to engage with the, um, the political positions of, of all my members. Um, and there will be very different views. Um, Can I just ask you some, just on that? Because many of us, I think, in the room have been involved in kind of technical working groups at the DAC. And, you know, we've, we would say we've given our technical best, but it hasn't maybe made the impact we had hoped. So just, just to helping us, those of us who are involved at a technical level, I mean, how do we bridge that gap? So you're operating at that diplomatic political level and mm. we're sometimes engaging at yeah. a technical level. I mean, what, how do you make that, that I mean, is that the DAC's job to do it, and we should just, or should we be more politically savvy as we interact at the technical level? I mean, what? Well, I think if you were, it would make <coughs> make my job easier. But but I can see that that, you know, that there's a. I think as I said earlier, that because a lot of this stuff is very technical and very complicated, and there's an awful lot of it, that's the sort of safe space. Um, the trouble is, you you then, you take those technical issues into. The DAC, which is representing <coughs> sovereign states, um, and that's where the problem starts. So I, you know, I, I mean, it's a big part of the the job of my office is is not, you know, it's not for me to take a view on particular um, sovereign states' political positions. It's for me to try and build consensus. I mean, that's sort of diplomacy 101, unfortunately. Um, but you know, that that's that's what I like. So, um, and, and look, if you, if, if you would, you know, if you had a crystal ball, I mean, the, the, the political consensus about aid is going to continue to change. So, I mean, one question I'm often asked is, you know, is reform, DAC reform, institutional reform done? Is ODA modernization finished? Absolutely not. I mean, you, 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 if the DAC doesn't keep changing and responding to the changing rail politique of its members, then it's not going to be relevant. Okay, and I've got to pin you down on anti-corruption. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I think collectively we're worried about it. I don't, what are we doing here with Kim? There's actually a recommendation. So okay. Sorry, yeah, but we have Kim Go. Yeah, so there's actually a DAC recommendation on uh, managing the risk of corruption and uh, anti-corruption measures for development uh, agencies. Uh, so it's followed up through the peer review instrument, but also through special reporting. The big issue, obviously, for, you know, if we're going to expand the membership. Yeah, um, okay. And maybe the final question, Jesse. Yes, you can have that one. Thanks, Jesse Griffiths from ODI. Uh, it's not a question, it's just a couple of responses or comments. <laughs> Um, one is on the development effectiveness agenda. 
I think it's worth remembering, so when it was called the Aid Effectiveness Agenda and it was housed at the OECD DAC with the Working Party, uh, and then it's shifted to uh, being at the GPDC, uh, OECD, UNDP thing, the resources available to that agenda plummeted. So I think um, doing all you can to persuade your members to re-resource that agenda would be a really important thing to do. Um, second point about this discussion about the national interest, we've got a great new product coming out in the next couple of weeks uh, called a Principled Aid Index, and that's an attempt to reframe the discussion and to say that actually using aid to help development and poverty of a stable, secure world is in our long-term national interest. And if we divert aid to, for example, the question about tying aid to subsidize a few of our companies for our short-term gain, we actually undermine our own national interest. So I think redefining that debate is really important. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, I will read that with interest. So on development effectiveness, um, I'm delighted Switzerland has taken over the, the, the chair um, and we've got a lot of GPDC meetings coming up. But, I mean, I, th I think, to be honest, Jesse, you know, resources and sort of results impact tend to go together. So I think we've got ourselves into a bit of a, a vicious circle here that the resources are not going into it because people are not convinced that this is delivering enough. So, you know, it's how do we breathe life back into this agenda and then I mean I, I'm, I'll be honest with you I'm struggling a bit to other than to say it's really important um, to, to, to really go out and make the pitch for it because I'm not I've sort of I think I'm not quite sure what it is anymore. We'll hold you Susanne, you said you offered to come back in a year's time. Yes. Well I think we have got I think the challenge for us in ODI and maybe broader group of people in the room is how do we customise um, the work we do in a way that's really helpful for you and others and I think that's a challenge I take back. The other, the other question I wanted to ask you which is kind of more like a gentle last question but I know we've got people in the room who are doing PhDs, the lady who asked the question as well and you did a PhD at LSE and you've had an illustrious career in international development, hopefully the best is still yet to come. What's your advice to people at the start of their career? How do we become like you? Oh, my gosh. Well, the what first, would you advise? first thing is don't have a plan, because I never did. I, I, I think there is no um, substitute for working in developing countries. I mean, I, you know, some of, I, I worked in northern Mali for um, four years, and, and those... You know, what I learned there, I've never forgotten. But then equally, um, you know, having just been, been in Ethiopia, uh, you know, after London, Washington, before that, um, it, it e you know, even as ambassador, it sort of reminds you what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, and don't stay in Addis Ababa. Get out and about as much as you can. I mean, the other thing I would say is I, I've... Um, you know, I've worked in lots of different bits of the system, um, and before this job, and most recently, as you know, in the foreign office, that I think if you you've got to be able to come at it from from all sides. And I, if I were starting out now, um, I think in the future people are going to have to be as comfortable working in the diplomatic space as in the development space as in the financing space. You know, some would argue in the security space. 
and, and the most effective operators are, you don't, you don't have to be expert in all of them, but you're, you're comfortable in all of them. And it goes back a little bit to this humanitarian piece. I mean, you, you know, you think if development professionals and humanitarian professionals can't work together, what help is there for, for you know, a mere diplomat? I mean, it, so, so it's that. I mean, the other thing is just, um, yeah, just stay flexible because you, you, you get the most extraordinary opportunities. Um, okay, good. Um, we haven't, there's a question actually coming, a really good question actually about mental health. Apparently, the statistic is um, $132 million is reported to the DAC for ODA spend on mental health, and that's a massive issue affecting one in four people. Um, how can we do more about that? There's another big question that's come in about migration, um, south-south migration, and, and that's another big topic which we really haven't had time to explore. I don't know if you've got any... <laughs> Silver yeah, bullets I mean, on either of those. It's just, uh, I mean, there's there's a very important project in in Ethiopia actually with some British psychiatrists, and I mean it is a huge problem. But I mean, in 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 a country where you know there is um, the health needs are so great. Oh, I mean they they achieve fantastic things in terms of primary health care, but but secondary and tertiary. Uh, there's still an enormous way to go. I mean, they are training huge numbers of doctors, but you know, rather like this country, to be honest, I mean, mental health historically doesn't get the attention it needs. Um, so, I, I, you know, I wish I had a better answer, but I think it's unlikely that it's going to be prioritised um, anytime soon. Um, sadly, uh, migration is. Uh, an enormous topic. We might have to have a separate conversation about that. Um, I mean, I, I, I think it goes back to um, the point um, that Marcus, I think it was, made about we are all thinking differently about development. Um, and I'm out, sort of, I would say what we can't do is not talk about it. And what we can't do is to to let the debate be as polarised as it has been, um, because it it uh, you know these these are sort of 21st century problems that um, are dividing communities, and and we we have to have a debate that that isn't um, for or against. We've got to have a debate about about solutions. Great. Um, I think we are times up. I'm afraid. Really sorry, everybody. I, I'm. I think we've got a huge amount out of you. I don't know if you feel you've got anything out of us. Um, I think what I think one of the things I've really taken on board for us is this challenge of, of um, producing information in a really accessible form for people like you to digest. And um, I think that's a challenge for us and others to do. I think the issue about the, the link between the technical and the political is really important, well taken. And thank you for answering questions on, on China, humanitarian development, mental health, migration, um, gender. Great to have that plug, particularly on that we've got another event tomorrow on International Women's Day, but it's great to have that, the importance of gender and working with girls and young, and young people. And hopefully those of you who are younger, um, we're called born earlier, is the phrase we use now. We're born <laughs> earlier. Those of you who are at the start of your career, take note of yeah. um, Susanna's yeah. advice for you. Um, thank you, everybody. Thank you for those online. I think I've done just about justice to all the questions online. Apologies if I haven't. 
Thank you for contributing. You might be able to catch Susanna if you're quick, if you really want to buttonhole her. Otherwise, if we could all give Susanna a round of applause. And we'll book you in for a year's time. Thank you. And, and I, I have actually learned a huge amount. I would just say two things in closing. One is podcasts are brilliant because you spend a lot of time on planes. So right. good podcasts. Um, and the, what, I, what I said in, in the Council of the OECD was it's International Women's Day tomorrow. Can governments take the opportunity to recommit to spending more on women and girls and be held to account? But thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more ODI live event podcasts, find us on SoundCloud or subscribe to the Overseas Development Institute podcasts via iTunes. Thank you.